Yes, sir. Hmm. Can trip over a water bottle, so you have to watch yourself here. Is this a Baptist church or Presbyterian? Looks like Presbyterian. They sprinkle that. Okay. All right. Glad to see you folks again. Nice to be back. This is a. Uh, opportunity for us to learn something about what God has for us. We just came through July 4th, and that celebrates our independence, doesn't it? One of the signers of the Declaration of Independence was John Witherspoon. Maybe you've seen his signature on a copy of the document. He wrote this. While we give praise to God, the supreme disposer of all events, for his interposition on our behalf, let us guard against the dangerous error of trusting in, of boasting of, an arm of flesh. If your case is just, if your principles are pure, and if your conduct is prudent, you need not fear the multitude of opposing hosts. John Witherspoon, signer of the Declaration of Independence. Nobody in the right mind sends an army out without supply and with encouragement, with a plan. Our early American patriots, our soldiers, were ill-equipped oftentimes discouraged and defeated. George Washington at the Valley, at Valley Forge was somewhat defeated, but he turned to God. Some of those men did not have shoes. They had to wrap their feet with clothes, claws taken from their clothes. They were in bad shape. Well, the Lord has not left us without provision for battle. Our resources in spiritual warfare are just what we need. We need the backing of God. He provides the power and the armor necessary to stand firm and to win our skirmishes. We must understand the nature of our resources and how to use these amazing provisions. You know, there's not a Christian who is not in spiritual warfare. The moment you trust Christ, you get lined up in the trenches. You may not experience all that some people experience, but you are in warfare. The enemy hates God, and he hates his children. So he takes out his vengeance on his children because he can't get at God. You are a target. On your back, you have a target, and the enemy is trying to get you. He often sneaks up on you. So we need provisions for our battle. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 6, which is only one of the 16 so passages in the New Testament that speak about the believer's warfare with spiritual forces. He says in chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
put on the full armor of God that you be able to stand against firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of this darkness, that is the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. First thing we have to recognize is the necessity of provision for armor. Necessity for the provision of strength. We have here, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. We have the power of the enemy that requires our provision. Satan is an extremely powerful angelic being. He's one of the high-ranking cherub class who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven and now rules most of the earth and promotes the lie. Christ is the truth. He promotes the lie. Demons are fallen angels who followed him in their rebellion against God and who promote his evil plans. Satan needs a lot of help because he's only one person, one place at a time, though he may, may move swiftly. He needs more help. I think he was disappointed that only a third of the angels fell with him, according to Revelation chapter 12. He has great power. He also has a great scheme, the tactics of the enemy. The Bible indicates that Satan and his demons do not work helter-skelter, but they have well-developed schemes. The word here, the schemes of the devil, refers to his methodical ways of working things out. He has organization and he has schemes for every detail. And he knows how to use them. He's a great track record, by the way. So we need to be aware of his tactics. His major purpose is to oppose and slander God and to oppose God's people in every way possible. He seeks to influence or to control, to uh, control our minds and our bodies. So we need to be aware of his tactics. We spoke about that last Sunday, and there was an outline that, I, that was in the bulletin. If you want to review that outline, it tells you how the enemy not only works against humans in general, but specifically against believers, the lies, and the slander, and the opposition. You read about that in the Word of God. But God has alerted us to the enemy's schemes so that we should not fear and tremble. Actually, the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. James chapter 2. He's afraid that you'll catch on to your position and authority in Christ and take your stand against him and defeat him. He is afraid of you. You do not need to be afraid of him. You need to respect his power, but not fear him. Fear is the, is the tool of the enemy. He through fear has kept us in bondage all our lifetime. Fear is not compatible with faith in God. God is in, is in charge. We should trust and resist in Christ's authority. Now, we are to do this because there's a battle going on, the necessity of these provisions. Let's take a look at the nature of the provisions. 
What are they? Well, let's take a look at this passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's the first thing I want to call your attention to is the power of God. Literally, allow yourself to be strengthened in the Lord. For you grammarians, let me Greeks, present, passive, imperative. You must allow yourself to be strengthened in the Lord. You do not pump up your own muscle, as in weightlifting or in bodybuilding. We're talking about allowing the Lord to control your life and to cause you development. This is not self-help, but seeking empowerment for the Lord, because he has the power. God does not delight, says the Bible, in the strength of a man's legs as a wrestler, nor in the power of a horse as in battle. But he delights in those who delight in him and depend upon his power. So we are enabled. There are several verbs here that I want you to note in this exhortation. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. They speak of the overwhelming greatness of God's power that strengthens us in, war in warfare. The root of the word be strengthened is the word uh, dunamis, from which we get dynamite. And it speaks about the inherent power of God that's behind you. His inherent power can help us in our weakness and distress to face our spiritual enemies. These words, in the strength of his might, it uses two other words that describe God's power. Strength refers to the power of a ruler, one who controls, has all things in his hand. You sing that song, he's got the whole wide world in his hand. That's true. As it relates to Christ, he is above all and has all authority. He is sovereign. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. You make disciples. So he has all authority. He's sovereign. The terms of his might, the strength of his might, the might speaks of God as strong and mighty and powerful. God is able to do all that he desires. He can do anything consistent with his character. He is holy and he's omnipotent. And so these three Greek words describe the kind of God who would empower us for the battle with our enemies. He is sovereign, in control. He's, omnip he's omnipotent. He can do anything that's needed, and we can depend upon him. And we need him. So how do we lay hold of this power? We look at the outline, and it says the expression of this power. First of all, there's an improper concept people often come up with. Someone's taking the idea that we're little gods, much like the New Age movement. Your problem is not sin. Your problem is ignorance. You don't realize that you are God, and you're in charge of yourself and your circumstances. So live up to your potential. Some have that idea that we can say or claim anything we want to. Name it and claim it. But God is working in us. It's his power. We're merely agents and servants who allow God to do his work through us. We stand not in infused power, as if he poured it into us, 
and the power is in us. But God strengthens us to stand, to resist, and to attack. If we're weak, and we are, we need to depend upon God. Some think that we have power to banish Satan, if we have enough faith, from the whole world and from working. Not so. God has allowed Satan and his demons to have some room for their expression in this universe. He's in control, God is, and he will finally cause him to end up in the lake of fire, as Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you wicked, that is, unbelievers, rebels against God. Depart from me, you wicked, into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God does the restricting. And this we will see more completely at the second coming of Christ. And finally, when at the end of the millennium, Christ casts Satan into the lake of fire, where the smoke of his torment ascends forever and ever. Now, what is the right concept, if that's the improper concept? God will enable us to stand the fierce attacks of the enemy. He will protect his children from the lies of Satan if they follow his word and if they test the spirits for the beauty of God. He will enable us to stand in the truth and walk in fellowship and victory in the midst of the battle. That doesn't mean there isn't harm and there isn't even death, but it means Though we might fail on occasion, we are on the winning side. We are not dependent upon ourselves. We are utterly dependent upon the Lord and the power of his might. We are limited to him. He has no limits. This is sufficient for any and every believer. If we submit our will and our desires to him, He'll take care of our well-being and his care protect us. That does not mean there won't be opposition, resistance, attack, and even death at the hand of the enemy. There are people in Bangladesh, in Egypt, in Syria, other places who are experiencing the ravages of Satan's forces. But they are standing in the power of the Lord and they're trusting him to do for them what they need. Many of them are forgiving their captors or their assailants in the process, showing the love of God and the power of God in the strength of the Lord. Now, we have the strength of the Lord. Another provision is the armor of God. Verse 13. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Then he goes on to say, Stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, outside of Paul's house arrest, by the way, he was writing this from Rome, and he was in house arrest. He had some freedom. His 
friends could come in and see him. But outside his door, there was a soldier guarding him. This Roman soldier had a helmet, had a breastplate that protected his uh, vitals. He had a big, wide belt, and he had a short sword on that belt. And he had feet with what we might call hobnail shoes. You know, a soldier needs that in battle, doesn't he? He doesn't want to slip. Even in golf, which I love, played since I was 10 years old, I wish I was a little better, learned some lessons. But in golf, I don't want to have my feet slip because I might not come through on the ball where I want to. And so the man who runs track doesn't need to slip. He has spikes to keep him in place. Well, the soldier had that too, because you know in the battle, if he slipped and fell, he was at mercy of his attacker. The attacker might have his sword at his throat if he fell to the ground. And the man couldn't say, well, excuse me, sir, if you let me up, we'll continue our battle. <laughs> no. That was the end of that man. So we don't need to slip in the matter of the battle. This, uh, these sandals of peace were very important. Let me go through these three, three pieces that are ours because of our position in Christ. When I speak about position in Christ, I mean the things that are granted to us freely, graciously, the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. By the way, there are other things that he grants us. He grants us redemption, propitiation, reconciliation, forgiveness, adoption, and uh, uh, justification. And the Holy Spirit comes in to regenerate us, to indwell us, to baptize us into Christ, and to seal us for the future. All those ten marvelous things happen to you the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, but we can't go into those now. We just notice that that's our position in Christ, and our position in Christ grants us these three pieces of armor. Notice, having girded your loins, if done. What does it mean, the belt of truth? Friends, we're in the truth system in Christ. We don't need to seek the truth system in some other thing like uh, a religion of the world, like Hinduism or Buddhism or Muslim. Uh, we don't have to uh, look at the cults of Christianity. We are in the truth system in Christ, clarified in the word of God. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth system centered in Christ is a truth of grace, whereby God accepts us perfectly and completely on the basis of the Son of God having given his life for us on the cross. Having risen again, he grants to us life. We are in the truth system in Christ. There's no other system like this in the world. No religion in the world says God the Creator saves sinners by grace through faith in a substitute Savior. There ain't nothing like it know-how nowhere. We are unusual. That is, he's given us unusual position. We also have the breastplate of righteousness. Now this is not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. We have perfect acceptance before God in the righteousness of Christ. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, he justifies us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, being justified by faith. Justification means God imputes to you Christ's righteousness. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You have perfect standing. It can't be improved. It can't be distracted from. It can't be reduced. You have perfect standing. For by one offering has perfected for all time those who are sanctified through faith in him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. 
We have a perfect position of righteousness in Christ. So when the enemy comes along with his attacks and says, what makes you think that you're right with God? What makes you think that God accepts you? You say, I trust the word of God. I am justified by faith. I have peace with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ. Furthermore, I do have that peace. It says here, um, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have sure footing of peace even in the battle. We have peace because God is for us. This is not sharing the gospel. This is standing in the truth that you're accepted with God through the gospel. The English Standard Version has it, the peace provided by the gospel, that is, the readiness provided by the gospel of peace. We are ready for the battle, non-slip shoes. Now, there are three pieces that are ours by position. There are three more pieces that are ours for our practice. I notice the change here. In verse 16, in addition to all, taking up, this is an action that we're responsible for. We have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the sandals of peace, but we're supposed to take up these things. The first thing is the shield of faith. We have to exercise confidence in God's character and his word. Faith is not passive. Faith lays hold of the person and good purpose of God. It means we trust God, his character, and his word. In the midst of the battle, we have confidence. God is for us. We have the helmet of salvation. Now, this does not refer in the context to our eternal salvation. The word in Hebrew, yasha, or in Greek, sozo, refers to deliverance, and it depends upon the context. Deliverance from the bed of sickness, deliverance in the battle uh, that the enemy had, uh, that is, uh, lodged against Israel, or eternal deliverance. It's all there. This is deliverance in the battle. We're on the winning side. We need to know that, need to have that in our mind, that we're on the winning side. In fact, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, it's called the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, the word hope in the Greek language, elpis, does not mean, I hope to make a hole in one someday. <laughs> Once I rimmed the cup and saved it in six inches, but that's as close as I came. But that's a hope for maybe uh, aspiring type of thing, not certain at all. But this Greek word means the confident expectation. We are confident that the Lord will come again. We have that hope. And we have the hope of deliverance in the battle. We may lose a few skirmishes, but we are on the winning side. The football coach who finds his team behind at halftime does not say to them, oh, you guys, you're just not, not doing it. We'll just get out, out there and fill in the time. We're going to lose anyhow, right? No, he doesn't say anything like that. He says, look, we've got a good team. You practiced well. You trained well. We've got a good plan. Get out there and execute, and we're going to win this game. Well, now, friends, that's still a hope, sort of a desire type of thing. 
That's not what the Lord says to us. He says, you are on the winning side. You do have the promise of deliverance in the battle. The enemy will not overcome you. He may hurt you, he may kill you, but he can't overcome you. I've read in um, the magazine, even today, of people who are in Pakistan who were um, attacked by enemies, religionists who thought they should be eliminated. They were not about to give up their faith. They trusted the Lord through it, and even as they were dying, they were praising Jesus and forgiving their enemies. They had the helmet of the hope of deliverance in the battle. The sword of the Spirit, that's another thing here. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We must use the specific sayings of the Word of God, fitting to the test in the battle. This is not the word logos, which would mean the whole message of the Word of God. This is the word rhema. And rhema does not refer to the spoken word of a preacher or teacher. Rhema refers to the sayings of the word of God. It's the battle, it, excuse me, it's the word of God. The rhema that God has spoken. And these are the specific sayings. Jesus used the word of God that way. He knew the book of Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law to the new generation. When Satan tempted him, he said, turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. You've got the power. Since you are the Son of God, you can do that. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I will obey him rather than obey you. Well, cast yourself down. Show yourself to be able to have God's angel take care of you. As you light in the middle of the um, courtyard of the temple, don't recognize it's your Messiah. He again quoted scripture. It's very appropriate. I'm a man under law, and the law says, you shall not put God to the test. Don't ask him to do something that's out of the will of God. Certainly, Satan suggested it's out of the will of God. Well, Satan then said, well, fall down, worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. After all, they belong to me. I'm the God of this world. And you won't have to go through suffering is the idea. You can gain the world just by bowing down. <laughs> the moment he bowed down to Satan, Satan said, I claim you, and I claim this world that you thought you were going to reign. How did Jesus answer him? Fall down and worship me. He goes back to the book of Deuteronomy again, a man under law. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Do you see how appropriate those scriptures were? That's the rhema that Jesus used. Is your memory bank full of the word of God that you can take what's appropriate to the temptation or to the occasion and apply it? You are supposed to do that. If you don't, you're vulnerable. You need to have the sword of the spirit which counters the enemy's attacks. So we have the sword of the spirit, the sayings of the word of God. If you don't, you fall. So we need to fulfill 
our will of God. The enemy comes with such things as, you're nobody. You'll never make it. Nobody's ever recognized you. Your parents knew the best about you, and they didn't give you much credence. Fulfill your desires. Do what you want to do. Take a night out. Promote yourself. Push your, your agenda. And he comes with suggestions like this. What do you do? You raise a shield of faith, which is a door-sized shield, a big one, with which you are able to extinguish all these fiery darts of the enemy as he comes with these temptations to sin and temptation to rely upon yourself. And so you raise the shield of faith and you drop those flaming arrows before they start bothering you. And you say, I'm on the winning side. Why should I give in to you? I have the sword of the Spirit, the sayings of the Word of God, and that's what I'm going to use. So you stand. If you don't do that, you won't stand. Now, how can we use this armor? We've got three pieces that are on because of our position. They are the um, truth, the truth which is like a belt giving us strength in our back. Another one is the, your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and then the peace that God gives you in the middle of the battle. Those are things that come to you because you trusted Christ. Then you also have the shield of faith, the helmet of deliverance, and the sayings of the word of God. Now, how do you put those on? Improper understanding of these things will confuse you and defeat you. We have to distinguish between position and practice. Suppose it was your righteousness and your truth. <laughs> We're liable to be losers on that account right away. That's, that will tend to discourage us and defeat us. But there are Christ's righteousness and Christ's truth. We must not confuse position and practice. We ought not to confuse proper and, uh, and popular concepts. For instance, the helmet is supposed to be keeping your mind clear, some people say. No, it's the helmet of deliverance for you're on the winning side. Well, popular concepts may not work. A proper understanding of these provisions will enlighten us and help us. So we can take a firm stand against the enemy and take a confident approach to victory. We do not fear. Fear is incompatible with faith in the true and living God. So, how do we put it on? How shall we put on the armor of God? Well, there are different opinions, but let me suggest this one, which I think uh, is quite scriptural. There's a parallel between what Paul says in Romans 6 and what he says here in... Um, Ephesians 6. In Romans 6, he says, you're to know that you're dead indeed to sin by crucifixion with Christ. You're supposed to know that you're alive unto God. Well, we need to know the facts. Then he says, reckon these things to be so, or count them to be so. That's an accounting term. Put it down on your ledger and count on it. It's there. You have all these pieces of armor. And these are pieces of armor that you can put on. Counted to be so. When it comes to the positional practices, 
you, excuse me, when it comes to position, not to practice, you count it to be so. And you yield yourself to God. Thank you, Lord, for these provisions. I will walk in them, reckon that they're on, and thank God for the provision and move ahead in the battle in confidence. Now, how shall we put on the armor that God's given for us our practice? He says, in addition to all, take up. And this indicates a needed action on our part. And the nature of the armor suggests that it's our faith and our obedience. So we recognize our personal needs. That is, we have to be on the alert. We are weak. We need to recognize our weaknesses. And we need to recognize those personal needs and turn to the Lord. We need to bolster our armor by knowing God's truth that's involved, the sayings of the word of God. And we pray with thanks for their provision and that God would enable you to put them on and keep them on in the battle, not just in the morning when you wake up, but all through the day for you're always in the battle. A third thing that the Lord provides besides his power and his armor is prayer. In verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. With this be in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. The place of prayer is important because it recognizes our dependence upon God. We are helpless against the foe. We have promised help from God. Why not take advantage of it? Prayer relies upon deliverance from God. He will answer. I had a phone call from a lady in uh, Wisconsin. I've counseled her for some time. She had been through satanic ritual abuse. And we were going through taking care of some of the grounds that she had given to the enemy. There were curses and spells that were laid against her, but she also had been very fearful and relying too much upon herself rather than on God. Though she had trusted the Lord, we had uh, to deal with one called Legion. Have you ever heard of that one before? It's found in the Bible, Legion. One is supposed to be a leader of a whole group. And when I mentioned Legion, the voice came back, no, no, you don't touch that. Get away from there. And I said, you be quiet. You obey the Lord Jesus. She had dealt with the issues of her life. So we asked the Lord, what would you have him to do? And the word came back, leave. When? Now. Then you go where Jesus sends you. And uh, he left. And the lady was free. He will answer. And we must trust that he will answer. There's a particulars that we ask in prayer. We pray for the defense from the devil. We recognize that we are vulnerable and we pray, Lord, lead us in your way and deliver us from the evil. And you know, that's one of the things in the Lord's prayer, isn't it? Not only forgive us, but also deliver us from the evil one. Daily provision, give us this day our daily bread. Daily deliverance, deliver us from the enemy. He's real. He's here every day. You need deliverance every day. That is, defense from the devil. 
Deliver us from the evil one. The word paponeros does not mean evil in general. Particularly, it speaks about the evil one, the specific evil one, the devil. We pray for the defeat of his schemes. We pray for the development of our lives. And so we move along to, op to oppose the enemy. Now, whether you know it or not, you're in battle. The Bible says you are. You need to count on it. If God brings to mind sin or some deficit in your life, some overstepping or some neglect of things in your life, you need to confess that. 1 John chapter 1 speaks about that. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's talking to Christians, not to non-Christians. If we confess our sins, the word for non-Christians is believe, receive the Savior. John never confuses the two. Confession is for believers. If we confess or agree with God concerning our sin, if we confess our sin to God, not to a man, to, to God, he will forgive. He is righteous, faithful, and righteous. Faithful, he never fails. Righteous on the basis of the blood of Christ to forgive. That takes care of the personal relationship between us and God, the vertical relationship. And to cleanse. That takes care of the internal defilement that sin has brought about. Because sin defiles the mind and the heart. He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse. And if we confess that sin, that's no longer a ground for the enemy or an occasion for the enemy to use. We're right with God, and we're back in fellowship with God, and his power can be operative in our lives. Besides confession, there needs to be a canceling, a canceling of the opportunity we gave to the enemy through that sin. He takes advantage of our weaknesses, takes advantage of our sin. He leads us on even further, and he claims some place in our life because of the sin that we've committed. So we cancel that ground. We renounce, not only confess, we renounce. That means to cancel the ground the enemy's given us, or we've given to the enemy. And then we exercise our authority. We tell him, we command him, get out of here, go where Jesus sends you. Many Christians will confess and maybe even cancel ground, but very few will command the enemy. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth, said Jesus. Make disciples. You have to be a disciple to make disciples. He commits to us authority that we might exercise it. Moses was standing by the uh, Red Sea. What are you complaining about, Moses? See that staff in your hand? Raise it. The staff was his symbol of authority. He used it on the Red Sea and it opened up. He used it in the battle with the Amalekites. We read about that in Exodus chapter 17. As long as he held up that staff in submission to God, exercising the authority God had given him, his troops won. When he let the staff down, when he stopped praying, Stop exercising his authority. The battle went against Israel. So he had her 
a man called Hur, H-U-R, on one hand, and Joshua on the other. Not Joshua, but uh, Aaron on the other. Joshua's out doing the battle. So Aaron and Hur held up his hands so that he was saying, I trust you, God, and your authority in this battle. And the battle went for Joshua and the forces of Israel. You see, we need to depend upon the Lord. The power of prayer and use his delegated authority. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God showed his power in raising Christ from the dead, seating him in his right hand, and subjecting all spiritual authorities to him. Far above principalities and powers. As we pointed out last time, I think, we uh, understand that Paul was saying he shows his power not only in Christ, but also in you. Because Ephesians chapter 2 starts out with not a new sentence, but a continuation of the sentence. He shows this in Christ and in you. The objective case in the Greek language indicates that God showed his power in us. How? By raising us from the dead, spiritually. By seating us with Christ in the heavenly places, spiritually. And we have authority. Because in chapter 1, Christ is far above the enemy. In chapter 2, you are raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places. So where is the enemy? Under you. The demons believe and tremble. The saints should believe and trust. I've talked to people who said, when you talk about demons, it makes my flesh crawl. That's a wrong response. When you talk about demons, you should look down at them. Sometimes I'll sign my letters, keep looking down. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Let me encourage you to take that position today. Realize that you've been raised with Christ, crucified, raised with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, far above your enemy. Do not fear. Trust. Do not back down. Exercise your authority. So we confess our sins, cancel the ground, and use our authority to tell them, get out of our lives. There's a final C. Commit your life to Christ. For, it's for his development, for his leadership, for his empowerment. So the four C's. Confess your sin, cancel the ground, command the enemy to go where Jesus sends him, and commit your life to Christ for his protection, his provision, his plan. The battle is real, friends. If we do not follow through on this, we're bound to fail. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. This is the evil day. We are assaulted by the forces of evil on every hand. Here in this community, in this state, in the United States, in the world at large. The enemy's forces are working, trying to dominate the world. Don't let them dominate you. Put on the full armor of God. Stand in the strength that he provides. Use your authority in prayer. If we do not follow on this, we shall certainly fail. If we do, we'll stand victorious in the battle. This is the evil day. 
The evil day will be over when Jesus comes and he'll rule the earth. And finally, after he rules for a thousand years, Satan ends up in the lake of fire. No more do we have evil recycled. God will reign, not only in time, but in eternity. And let's keep on walking with him until we enter the glory of the victorious, risen, reigning Savior. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we're so thankful that we belong to the true and the living God, the one who made heaven and earth, who's responsible for the whole world and is responsible for us. You've raised us from the dead. You've given us life in Christ. You've seated us with Christ in heavenly places. Help us to be bold in our stance. Help us to be bold in our warfare. Help us not to fear, but to trust. Help us to put on the whole armor of God, to stand in your strength, and to trust you by committing ourselves to you day by day. Not only ourselves, but our families and our friends. And this church, we pray for the defeat of the enemy's work against our lives and against this church in every way. We ask for the promotion of the word of truth and for the outreach of the gospel. Do remove the enemy's blinding from many eyes. Convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment for those needing to know the Savior. And draw people to trust him. For those of us who trust him, help us to walk with you in total dependence and in committed warfare. In Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be... Um, there we are. Yeah. <laughs> Glad that you're here. You look good. Dr. Wan, it's thank nice you to have friends to look up to, by the way. <laughs> okay. I want to thank you. Let's thank the doctor for coming out and being with us today. <laughs> this issue of spiritual warfare is real, and as uh, believers, we have to prepare ourselves for that. Uh, next week, we'll be continuing our series through spiritual warfare. We'll have Dr. Lou Petrie with us, sure. uh, looking at insights from spiritual warfare. Dr. Sure. Lou is one of the vice presidents for our Converge Worldwide Conference, and if you have not had an opportunity to hear from Dr. Lou, uh, you will not want to miss uh, next week. You're going to be in for a treat. Uh, the entire month, we're going to be looking at spiritual warfare, so be praying for Pastor Dan while he's on vacation this month. Mm -hmm. So we want to lift him up in prayer as God would refresh him. And at this time, I'd like to invite our elders to come forward. Uh, we're going to uh, be available for you for prayer, any elders and members of our prayer team. So you can come out and pray with them after the service. Uh, we hope you have a blessed week. Uh, thanks for coming out.